Welcome to this edition of the Establish the Edge podcast. Your host, Mike Leone here. Pretty pumped about today's episode. I've got Rich Rebar of Sharp Football Analysis on at Lord Reeves on Twitter is probably what you know him by. And Reeves and I have interacted a ton on Twitter. We actually met at an FSTA conference like five, six years ago now, which is pretty wild out in Las Vegas, but somehow we've never really done any shows or podcasts together. And you know, last week I had the show with Joe Holka, talked a little bit with him about how he got in the industry and started. And we're going to pick Rich's brain a little bit in that regard, talk about his love for rushing quarterbacks and everything that goes into his column each week, the the worksheet, which is sort of like if you're an ETR subscriber, it's kind of like Evan Silva's matchup column, a little bit different, but he gets out early in the week going through every single game. And yeah, you know, excited, Rich, to uh, be interacting with you in the flesh a little bit here as opposed to just back and forth on Twitter. Yeah, th- through uh, avatars uh, on Twitter. <laughs> but yeah, it's really cool. You know, I what's funny is you when you reached out and asked if I wanted to come on the show, your name had just come up. Uh, in a thread that I had with uh, JJ Zacharyson, he was a mutual friend, you know. So no, no official humble brag there, having a thread with JJ. But uh, and I said, you know, it's, I was like, you know, what's crazy is I'd never done anything w- with Leone. Like I've never done anything with him. And then you asked, literally, I swear to God, it was like three days later, and it was like, that's wild. Oh, it's, it's it's crazy that it works out. But you no, know, we've interacted and followed each other uh, for years. Like I said, we met. Uh, I thought we were talking a little bit before the show, just how, how we met in the FSTA in Vegas. And I remember you sweating someone shooting free throws, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you guys have been knee, knee deep in the DFS weeds for so, so long, uh, you know, and then helped you guys influenced a lot. You and Dink especially influenced a lot of like how I got into DFS and how I started playing initially too, as well. So, uh, it's great that we finally get a chance to, to get together and do something. Yeah, that's funny you say that because I think, you know, likewise, like reading your worksheet stuff, which you had, you know, in the Roto World days as well, which is where you were before Sharp Football Analysis, if I'm correct. And like, how did you get started in the industry a little bit? Like, just kind of curious about that, because when I was first interacting with you, you were already kind of like pretty well established or it felt that way to me, at least. Yeah. So, I mean, I was always someone that's very, you know, not into social media at all, you know, for good reason. I'm still really not into it. And, you know, you know I, I've hurt my brand a little bit just by not tweeting as much, you know, these days. And my follower growth is, is lower, but, you know, my sanity is higher. Uh, Hashtag so, never tweet. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, so I never have Facebook and, you know, my buddy kept saying like, oh, you got to get, you got to get on Twitter. You got to get on Twitter to follow, like keep up with your news. Cause I, then I was, playing so much fantasy sports at that time anyways you know fantasy baseball especially fantasy baseball where you know you want to be on daily news uh you know get guys out of the lineup and do things like that so i finally broke down and i got a twitter and you know i said oh well i'll i'll at least like tweet some of this stuff that like i follow you know i'd always told my wife for years like you know because of how much i played fantasy sports like all oh, these guys doing this like they're, they're some of them are pretty solid but most of these guys are it's pretty vanilla like i i know there's better information out there to provide to people and i would start sending you know just random tweets of data like you see me do now just more frequently then uh and there was a site called nfl retweet at the time and i don't know if it still exists right now or, or not but they would like pick up my stuff and like and reping it out, retweet it. And they had a big follower count. And 
one of the people that followed that account was cd carter denny carter you know uh the, the the lore of denny carter he's basically my rain man you know uh so he asked me at the time if i would come in and write articles what was then xn sports at the time and i remember telling him, I was like dude i, I ain't a writer like i'm just out here tweeting stats he's like ah oh, it's fanciful you don't need to be a writer and i was like oh cool it's uh, be all right <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah and i and that's how the story goes denny brought me in i started working at xn sports and then just started to do work and get more of my stuff out there and then slowly started to trickle on to meet more people and have my work put out by uh i was fortunate to have a run into the right people just like any job right like running into the right people and getting your work into the, the hands of people i remember i went on run for johnny was a big supporter of mine early on and he got me on sigmund bloom show and then evan silva heard me on sigmund awesome. bloom show and then i became friends with evan and the, so the story goes and it snowballed into having us here so everyone just you know that gives denny shit like you know go back denny at least because i'm on denny's resume on his coaching tree uh hopefully that's enough good uh for everyone out there <laughs> and i mean the way you talk about it too it just reminds me like we're pretty lucky in this industry that everyone's kind of like trying to prop each other up you know and there's this genuine thirst for everybody to just kind of try and get better you know provide better analysis play the game better and i think you see that with a lot of people crossing over you know from different sites and a lot of people are friends and you talk about giving Denny some shit. I do need to ask you about Denny <laughs> failing to catch the long Frisbee toss from Peter Overset on, you know, what looked like a pretty fun vacation. I think I saw Daigle there. You were there. Uh, some, some of the Roto world guys uh, and, and some of the ship chasing guys. So uh, Pat Crane was there. So that, that seemed like a, a, a nice fun get together for you guys and and you gotta i mean denny was denny down in the dumps after that failure like i mean that was brutal i mean first of all i was the one that recorded it on my phone and you gotta <laughs> give uh overs at some props because that's a one take throw and it was and for the for a one take frisbee throw like it was pretty money like you couldn't ask for a better throw it was right online denny's under it uh you know just lost a little bit in the spin i will say you know a couple yards into the the ocean there there are rocks and stuff so i think he got a little <laughs> scared so i think he got a little scared of like oh am i gonna get brained like like if i you know hit a rock or something but he should have made the grab it was a perfect throw uh i will say that you know we were all you know very much you know we're all dads at, at that point you know me thorman and denny we're all pushing 40 and we're dads and over sets out here in the beach and it's got a six pack uh making us all look bad you know it looks like he doesn't fit in uh but you know other than that you know, we got a couple shirtless photos that didn't make it because pete makes us look so bad <laughs> oh oversets not rocking the dad bod yet no so. but yeah that that whole sense of community is great and i think well, i, I was most... like that now though like you said i mean it, back then it was i don't want to say you know be like it was like back in my day but it was more of an incubator on twitter than it is now uh mm -hmm. for idea process and bouncing ideas like you said with everybody getting better now it's not cutthroat i think there's still like we want the industry to progress and it's continue it's only been as small as it's ever going to be since we've both been involved with it it continues to get bigger but now it's a little more saturated and there isn't as much of those uh those vibes now as, as it's like the incubation of of everyone winning it's not as kumbaya yeah. as it was then yeah, that's fair. I get. I feel like I probably tweet a little bit less, so maybe I don't notice it as much. Whereas I, I used to hop into like arguments and stuff a lot more. And now I'm kind of like, for my mental sanity, as you said, like try to mm -hmm. kind of scale back and just kind of tweet my information and, and be a little bit more positive and, uh, you know, not fight, you know, Tyrod Taylor, truther arguments <laughs> that like just don't matter that much. <laughs> just, 
So trying to back off those, but yeah, the worksheet that you have going with the sharp football analysis, like that's the work that I'm familiar with you with that helped kind of shape even honestly, like part of my projections process for DFS and going into that and kind of like trying to the things I wanted to investigate to see what mattered for people that aren't familiar with it. It's on sharp football analysis. You make a couple of games free each week. Um, you can see it game by game. And like this week, Minnesota at Baltimore is unlocked. Uh, so if you want to check it out, highly recommend doing that. But Rich, you basically start with a grid that's got some important metrics, you know, the the pace of the teams, their you know, team play calling, the you know, their scoring, their ranks in those categories, then some major bullet points. And then you kind of give your analysis by each position and guys that you think will spike relative to their usual production or bust relative to their usual production. So you want to talk a little bit about like everything that goes into putting that together. And I know you get it out early in the week, which must be, be a difficult uh, pro, you know process. You must be really be on point to start your week. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, obviously I grew up, you know, like a lot of people, you know, reading, you know, Evan's matchups column, which is still fantastic. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of bring my own kind of flavor to that and, you know, kind of my own analysis because we still approach playing the game, you know, very differently. Uh, and what's funny is they both used to coexist uh, together at Roto World, both of these articles. You know, Evan was a big proponent, even with it having some overlap to his own article, he was a big proponent of saying, you know, to the brass at that time, like, Hey guys, we need this article on the site, you know, even paired up with his. And we used to always get like all kinds of messages asking if we could put the games in the same exact order and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, basically just a top down look at every single game, a player expectation article. You can apply it to betting, you know, props, uh, you know, setting lineups, DFS, basically kind of just a, a, a world in one kind of top down look at everything you know give you some bullet points so if you're hanging out with your dad or your uncle you can use one of those bullet points and say that during the game you look cool if you're at the bar you know you bring it say oh yeah oh, i didn't know dave knew that like that's pretty smart you know um you know some of those then you get into the, the player data and uh it's grown only gotten bigger as i've ever done it it's it used to start out when i first did it at xn sports you know it was just a couple like notes about the players and now it's turned on to full on like write-ups on the players and it, it, it is one of the the rare existing long form articles still in the fantasy football, you know, market as, you know, everything's gone to, you know, more video and consumer based, you know, for mobile media, which I totally get. But also I kind of like that it is one of the few articles still hanging on like that and still has a, enough readership to kind of hang on in that level. Uh, basically takes up all my day Sunday night till all the way through Tuesday. And then I'm updating stuff like today, like when Aaron Rodgers is out or Chris McCaffrey's going to play, we're updating stuff. So my, my family doesn't see me on Monday and Tuesday. I'm, I actually am. I have to feed myself on Monday and Tuesday. My wife, is clear. <laughs> she doesn't even include me as part of the process. So usually door dashing something Monday and Tuesday, trying to best to stay as healthy as possible during the football season. But you know, when we're stuck on our chairs uh, for so long, it doesn't always happen. But I'm trying to just incorporate as much of new things that I believe are relevant. And I think we're starting to see the fantasy landscape change a little bit with just some of the data that's become accessible now that it's accepted. You know, analytics are kind of accepted in, in football. You know, that you know, I grew up as a fantasy baseball player and was a hardcore fantasy baseball player, and it was always accepted there. And then when football started letting people in the door, I was like, Oh, I'm going over here because this this baseball is every this is a this is a process. So I'm gonna yeah. go to football. <laughs> and uh, you know, so now that we're starting to see more stuff get incorporated, I still think we're seeing from a matchup level. Uh, more information be available. I still think that there's some new 
developing kind of information like true media and SIS. I think the next wave of where we're seeing is, you know, incorporating ap- absolutely how like defenses play into our matchups, you know, and I, I go back. So my biggest week in DFS was two weeks ago when uh, the Bengals played the, the the Ravens and I was, I was locked in on Joe Burrow. And if you read the worksheet, you know, you knew I was locked in on him because of how the Bengals, you know, approach or how the Ravens approach playing defense, a lot of cover one man coverage. They blitz heavy Joe Burrow uh, had just been devouring the blitz so far to that point of the season. And they had these three weapons on the outside. It's like, if you're going to play a lot of man coverage against the Bengals, like this is a problem. Like they're going to eat you live. Like this is, you're playing right into their hands. Obviously I got lucky it played out that way. I did have more T Higgins than chase. And I'll tell myself the process was right with the prairie yards <laughs> that week but i did have enough chase to still get in the green and win some money but i do think those are starting to see stuff like does this team play a lot of cover one do they play a lot of cover three how often do they blitz how does the player perform against the blitz these quarterbacks these passing games i think stuff like that is just now starting to be incorporated in these matchups and i i find that information to be a lot uh, have hold a lot of value and be super valuable and provide those little micro edges that we no longer kind of get because everyone can understand like, Hey, Lamar Jackson's playing the Vikings. They're this, that, and this against the past. All right. Well, why are they this, that, and this, who did they right. play? Do they, do they blitz lot? Do they get pressure with four? Uh, where are the weaknesses on their defense? So that's kind of like what the worksheet kind of incorporates. Uh, you know, that, those kind of things. It's, it's a lot, and I get it. It's a lot of words on a page, but, uh, you know, it also, like I said, I, I take a lot of pride that I get it out on Tuesdays. You can read the games. I post them as I do them a lot like Evan does on your guys' site. So you're getting the games as I'm writing them up. And then we talked a little bit for the show. It also provides just a concrete foundation for me already. It's, you know, Wednesday at 1.15 Eastern. And like, I'm pretty dialed into the week, like, you know, on the, like, so I just have to do micro adjustments throughout the rest of the week. Uh, as more news becomes available in terms of like setting DFS line of setting my own rosters, maybe making potential trades early in the week in my leagues. Uh, so I do, there's a, it's, it's a pro and con. It, it takes up my Monday, Tuesday, but also it's out of the way early in the week as well. So for, first off, I'm on team DoorDash on Tuesdays. So <laughs> if you saw my uh, DoorDash, you know, spend by day of the week, I'm sure you can see like a pretty big peak, like early Monday through Wednesday type but it's interesting to hear you talk about like where that next edge might be in fantasy and i think that actually wraps into like how we do our projections is similar in the sense that all our heavy lifting is done really early in the week you know we have to get the base projections out in a really sharp way having we brought on mark dankenbring as a projections lead this year that helps me and i think there's a huge edge for us in being able to get those mostly done tuesday night definitely by wednesday And then that first run is kind of more vanilla in the sense of your jet, like what should the player's base target share be? You know, in general, the play calling of Cincinnati against Baltimore, how does that line up? How many plays is Cincinnati going to run? So we get that out of the way and getting that base workload done early then lets you kind of make subtle tweaks here and there off some of the stuff you're talking about that might be a little bit more matchup specific that's maybe a little bit more difficult to algorithmically you know build in into the projections so uh, i'm interested in that i do want to you know one of the things i was looking at to uh last year was when you're looking at ease of matchup for wide receivers, for example, like seeing how that affects wide receivers of different skill types, you know, and and what we see is like some of the slot receivers, for example, I notice our model for their catch rates, like it doesn't, it might not change a whole ton 
for those guys based on the difficulty of the passing matchup. Whereas some of the other guys that like are more like a downfield skill set, you know, outside role, you know, the, the strength of the matchup seems to affect their rate stats a little bit more, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So I'm looking forward to dive in, especially over the off season, you mentioned like SIS and some of the other data, you know, to see if we can really discern the signal from there. And it's always a difficult balancing act between anything with defense. <laughs> yeah. Anything with defense is like, okay, this sounds good in theory. Mm-hmm. This looks cool, but like, does it actually matter? And, uh, but it, so it's cool to hear, hear you using some stuff though, that seems to come to fruition. And yeah, it's tough with defense because I mean, you know, I was working with defensive metrics and working on all this stuff for years. I mean, a, a, a giant crux of defensive stats are really just opposing offensive stats, you know, a, a lot. Like when you're looking at like, especially when you're looking at like from like a target share perspective, like, you know, all right, well, this team is, you know, 30% of the targets are going to running backs, but that's not really a defensive stat. It's really predicated on, you know, a, a lot by the offense, right? Like the opposing offenses that they're playing and, you know, it does because the ball on opposing offenses typically goes to the best player. So who did they play uh, and stuff like that, especially early in the season? Cause we're only what, you know, eight weeks in, like a lot of the defensive stats are manipulated basically by just who teams played so far. Uh, and, and in a 17 game season now, even with the one extra game, like that's going to be the true over the whole season. We look at Washington last year, Washington played one of the easiest quarterback schedules in the NFL last year. And, you know, everyone's like, and they granted they had good personnel and I don't think we expect them to be this bad, but a lot of their production was influenced by their schedule last year. And you see this year, they open with a hard quarterback schedule. They faced nothing but good quarterbacks this season so far in Daniel Jones. Uh, but you know, then you see the shift, right? Like good offenses are still productive. I mean, and good offenses are still always going to have an advantage, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's more of just saying like good offenses, bad defenses, but like more getting into the weeds of, um, and something I want to learn a lot more is about too, just from, I want to learn more about the NFL. I I like the NFL a lot. It's what led me to this. I really love the NFL and just understanding, you know, what, uh, you know, opposing teams are trying to do. We don't have defensive data on like how much, you know, well, we did it until recently, these last couple of years, like how much cover three a team is running. Why are they running it? Uh, if a player is hurt, why do they have to change that their approach defensively? Because uh, that may dictate some, you know, kind of like I said, those micro edges, because that's all we can live off right now. Like the, the macro edges, man, are, are really, they're, they're very few and far between in this industry right now. So just trying to, especially when you're trying to win DFS, we're trying to win thousands of dollars on a weekend. We got, we've got to try to find that little micro to, to get us the edge because everyone's working with like the same little bit of stuff. So yeah, that's kind of just like where I'm, I, I'm very much the tip of the iceberg with that stuff and looking to get my hands on more information, you know, through those sites and be able to incorporate some of that stuff and just understand it more on a matchup level, because we know that that stuff still inherently matters. You know, it's, um, it's easy to say like, there's uh, a, a, not a large signal there to say like it, it, you know, we're from a correlation chasers, you know, I'm, I was an, I'll correlation chase with the best of them, but also you have to understand in NFL, like, you know, you're not always gonna, you're gonna have stuff that's, that gets through and you're gonna, like I said, we're only trying to find micro edges. We're not trying to find this thing that's going to break the bank. When I first started, I think there's like levels when you're a fantasy analyst, when you come into this industry, what you want to do. And I always feel like everyone's first phase is I call the skeleton key phase. Everyone thinks they're going to crack the code, right? Like everyone thinks they're going to come to the next metric or the next thing that's going to blow people away and change the way fantasy football is perceived. And it's, it's a very short lived life because this yes. key doesn't exist. Uh, and, and maybe one day it will, but you know, that we wouldn't have a game if it existed, right? Like we wouldn't even be here. Like this industry wouldn't be continue to grow up if it did exist. But uh, then once you kind of get through that phase, you kind of try to focus on like what you're good at and what you bring to the table, uh, 
as a fantasy analyst. And that's kind of what I did, taking these top-down looks at things and trying to make it easily distilled. Uh, I'm not someone that's like very versed in like R and like I'm not creating these awesome, you know, dope charts like, you know, Sam Hoppin and Hayden Winks. But I'm also really good at not taking a bunch of charts because there's a lot of people that grew up, you like my 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 father-in-law doesn't want to go on a site and see a bunch of charts. But when I put this thing in a paragraph that explains what's in that chart, he he understands it, right? So yep. that's kind of where I think I, I fall on the spectrum. I call myself a lot like the DVD of fantasy football analysis. I was a markedly great improvement over the VCR, but I had a very short shelf life because all these coders and these guys that are really well-versed in doing all these things, you know, algorithmically uh, uh, have kind of uh, surpassed me as well too. And I can't get to their level. Uh, but a lot of people still have DVD players and uh, I'll take <laughs> it. I wouldn't short yourself because I do think there's a really important talent in being able to like, aggregate and synthesize that information to something actionable you know because in some ways i'm doing a little bit more on the data side than the you know analysis side that you're doing it from but that, that's sort of how i view myself where like like i'm not gonna scout guys better than pat crane like i'm not gonna you know he's got his prospect stuff you know uh, i'm not gonna be able to discern matchups like Evan Silva is going to be able to do. And there's all these things that like just recognizing my skill set. But what I can do is first of all, have like a good ability to find the people that aren't full of shit and like, do you know what they're talking about in these areas that, you know, I'm not skilled at and be able to, you know, trust their information and then figure out a way to like work that into like the quantitative approach that I take, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I did a podcast last night. Like I, I don't know much about prospects, but I, I can read what people are saying about Jamar Chase, who I trust that tell me he's, you know, the best prospects in Samari Cooper. And then when I'm doing, you know, my preseason projections, I can give him, you know, a, a 20, 25% target share. That seems really aggressive, but like just kind of understanding you know, the level of prospect he is from people I trust, I can work that in, try to quantify it, and then then kind of see what it spits out from there. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, Pat said Jamar Chase is amazing, so I'm going to draft him in the third round, but I can go, Pat said Jamar Chase is this amazing prospect, so I'm going to give him a, a target share that's appropriate for a prospect of that level and an efficiency that's appropriate of that level, and then kind of see, see what that spits out. So like being able to aggregate and synthesize information from, you know, people that like do have specialties, I think is really important. So uh, I wouldn't feel bad if you, you know, aren't, aren't, aren't the R coder, Rich. <laughs> I say every off season I'm going to do it, but then I'm so burnt out by the time we get to Jan- January that I'm like, I just need a couple, I just need a little break. And then I start work again and I'm like, Oh, there's no time. <laughs> I feel that. I, I absolutely feel that. But you guys that do all the sports, I mean, I don't know what you're still playing these days. I assume you're still doing NBA. Uh, but you know, the, I always thought you guys that did DFS and the grinders that just that did football and end to NBA and then fo- the overlap of NBA and football and then into baseball. And it's like, you guys were living a, a life that I just couldn't comprehend. Man. I was, my mind is blown by it. <laughs> I can't comprehend what I and Dink used to do. Like I literally cannot comprehend it. Like my brain breaks thinking about dude, MLB was the worst. There's just a slate you wake up, there's a slate. You you have lunch, there's a new slate. Like Wednesday afternoon, like, are you kidding me? So thank God, you know, ETR doesn't do baseball. I don't do 
and I don't, I don't even really watch baseball anymore. It's crazy. Cause that's really where I got started was MLB Same. and yeah. yeah. And like, <laughs> I don't want to watch, like I like have a visceral reaction to a baseball game now. And, and then even with NBA now I'm behind the scenes, setting up our projections framework, getting everything working, like working on the automation, making sure everything is in flow, but I'm not really a part of the day to day of that. And I'm not playing NBA as much, which this is now we've, we've got a prop package that's just crushing. Like betting props is so much easier. Uh, and that, you know, you've seen on the NFL side too. I'm sure that that's, that's like a really fun area. It's like a pretty quick way for someone to get a sweat and you know, it's more communal too. Cause like if a bunch of you take the same prop, you can cheer for it together. You're not competing against each other like you are in DFS. But yeah, so I've scaled way back from what I used to do. I, I the three sport thing was, dude, I, I really don't know, know how we, how we survived. Uh, and part of me doesn't even want to, want to think about yeah, it. Yeah. From the outside looking in, I would always be like, dude, these guys just don't, they don't, they, this is the life, man. They're just going in. <laughs> and there was a, such an edge for a while that, you know, it was kind of worth, you know, playing NBA every yeah. night and like really being in the weeds and there, you know, there's still an edge there, but it's, it's not quite the same as it was, you know, during the, the DFS glory days, so to speak. <laughs> um, I yeah, do want to talk NBA to- turned into just one V one. Yeah, NBA is is tough and if I do I feel like some of the sites that have done NBA have fallen off though and now it's kind of like circling back to having a bit more of an edge if you've got like the good ETR projections just because like you know Labs lost Justin Fan and you know there's different you know other sites out there aren't aren't devoting as many resources to it as they used to in the past but I got to bring up uh, the Konami QBs. So the Russian quarterbacks, I never played the the game that this is referencing the, the <laughs> Contra. So you got, you got to give the Konami QBs backstory here. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, this is when JJ first went to number fire and, you know, they were just like, he was just tagging friends in like, Hey, do you want to do throw an article? If you have an idea, you, you can throw it up here. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's something I've been working on. Like, uh, you know, I'll throw it up on your site. And it was literally about just how people were undervaluing the scoring discrepancy for rushing points for quarterbacks. Uh, you know, the article of the framework, you know, Tim Tebow was on the cover. I didn't know that this was going to turn into what it turned into and still be a thing eight years later. And people would be talking about Konami quarterbacks. It was just the framework <laughs> of the article. And I was like, oh, it's kind of like a video game cheat code, right? So I put in the most famous cheat code ever, you know, the Contra code. Uh, and that was the framework of the article and it and it took off. It's really really the only creative article I've probably ever written because I don't I always say like so like Matthew Friedman's my favorite fantasy football writer and he's so creative the way he writes. And I just put so much like information in my articles that I don't have room for like anything else. I'm already like past the word count that I should be at. And when I used to do stuff for Rotoviz, Frank used to be like, dude, this is I'm not I, this is way too long. I can't post it. It's gotta <laughs> be a certain thing. So, you know, I, I had to cut out like those fun little paragraphs and those anecdotes, which people do appreciate and they do like, but I had too much other stuff to get through. So I as I've gone on in my writing, I've been just more meat and potatoes. But that one at that time, I got to have some fun, you know, incorporate, you know, something, you know, because I am a gamer and got to incorporate that. And it ended up being, you know, one, it's it's true. It's quantifiably true and still is true. And it was an edge for a a while uh, because, you know, fantasy football, like people associate fantasy football to real football a lot, especially at the quarterback position and, you know, quote unquote, bad quarterbacks, guys like Christian Ponder and like Tim Tebow. And at that time, Terrell Pryor was just going to start. 
for the Raiders. They announced him as the starter. And that was like the the, the antithesis of the article was saying like, dude, Terrell Pryor is going to be more valuable than you guys think. Except, you know, yeah. and, and I remember in DFS, you know, I played him a ton. It was they were playing the Colts the week when he had like 19.8 points or something that week. He rushed for 100 yards. But even going into that, there was a ton of pushback. Like this dude is trash. You can't play him in fantasy. And it just it kind of highlighted just how like, you know, how the scoring was weighted for these rushing quarterbacks. There just wasn't enough of them yet in the league. And we've seen them just grow exponentially in the league. And not only have they grown in league, now guys that can throw our athletes now too. You know, it used to be right. get the one or the other. And even Cam Newton who and Michael Vick, guys that like were bridgers of the gap and had elite passing seasons. Remember, you know, 2010 Mike Vick or 2015 Cam Newton. And you couldn't catch those guys like in the league because like when they were hitting on when you're getting rushing with that type of passing performance that was rivaling the best pass performance of the league, those guys are scoring 30, 35 points a week. You can't arbitrage that. Whereas if you have Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady, the apex of our lifetime of quarterbacks, include Aaron Rodgers in that too, um, that are just getting these passing productions, like even with your streaming quarterback, you can arbitrage a percentage of what they're uh, what they're producing because it's just passing production. But with these, you know, quarterbacks that now the Deshaun Watsons, even a little bit like Patrick Mahomes, uh, the, these guys that can that are putting in four thousand passing yard seasons, throwing thirty touchdowns, a uh, Kyler Murray's, uh, a Lamar and Josh Allen uh, right now, like yeah, that's what's kind of turned. Uh, you can't catch those guys. It's made them in like their own mini elite tier, and it it really changed the way DFS was played the past couple of years as well. Because you know the DFS, especially at a site like DraftKings, you can go down at quarterback. Like I said, proxy your 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 three X, get your eighteen points, get your three hundred yard passing bonus, and be great, right? Like you know it was great. Yeah. Uh, and now you've got guys that are getting the three hundred yard passing bonus, have a shot at the hundred yard rushing bonus, are still throwing three or four passing touchdowns, and they're getting all this weight of production. And it's it's kind of broken the way quarterback has been played now. But you know I look at the fantasy landscape now on a season long level, and there might only be like three or four teams in your league even streaming right now and a couple of them are just out of necessity because they're just playing these guys weekly now where it used to be we'd have maybe what five guys in your league that were like wire to wire guys you would start every week and not play matchups with uh and now we've got a surplus of quarterbacks now and that's why you see sites like Superflex and stuff become more popular because we've got to try to find a way find spots to have these useful fans players be part of the game again um so yeah i mean i get a lot of pushback on it uh about like it's you know, I only draft running quarterbacks. No, I draft passing quarterbacks too and their values. You talk about Stafford and Tom Brady. The only thing is that it forces, you know, those guys to to be kind of flawless. You have to run those flawless right. seasons like Aaron Rodgers last year, like Brady and Stafford are living right now. But even if you see like how it is right now from a top-down stance, so league-wide quarterback rushing has just grown every year. I, I put out a chart out in February about this. And currently right now, Quarterbacks are making up 16.3% of the rushing yardage, 16.2 of the league rushing attempts. That's a higher rate than even was last year. Like I said, just gone up, up, up exponentially. Right now, they have 23% of league-wide rushing touchdowns. They're pacing. They have over 100 rushing touchdowns again this season. And then we talk about just being able to get those elite scoring weeks, especially at DFS level uh, or even in your seasonal leagues. Right now, top six scores on a weekly level through these eight weeks of the season, they're averaging 5.1 rushing points per game. Top three scores at the position on a weekly level, they're averaging 5.3 rushing points per game. Of the 24 top three scores, just four of those games have come without a rushing point. Matthew Stafford has the only QB1 overall scoring week without a rushing point on the season. QB1s are averaging 6.2 rushing points per game. Uh, you know, and you, you happened again last week. Josh Allen's the QB1. He didn't have necessarily a great passing game, but he adds another nine points on rushing on top of his 
production, and that's how you break the bank. So for a guy like Stafford or Brady to be the overall number one QB scorer on a slate or on an individual week, they have to be borderline flawless and throw basically a minimum of four passing touchdowns, like a minimum uh, to get there. Uh, so that's really all it is. I still love those guys. I play those guys in DFS when they're of value, uh, and, and we'll draft those guys when they're of value. But when you're talking about just getting to the pantheon, guys that can actually win you and crush you weeks, that's the archetype now that you need at the position. Yeah, it's almost with those guys that your your goal is that you're a little bit more safely like in the top five conversation than it is that you're trying for the true QB1 overall. And but I was kind of curious your take on, it feels to me like we do have more teams that understand the optimal way to play real life football, you know, and I don't know if Tampa Bay's just lucked into it by letting Brady do whatever he wants, but you know, they're second in the NFL and pass rate over expectation. And they're throwing so much. They're throwing so much in the red zone. And the game script almost doesn't matter. You know, they're they're gonna throw until the game is completely out of reach in the fourth quarter. And then Brady's still gonna try and tack on one more after that point. So like does that change the math at all a little bit if we start getting more teams that are just willing to be aggressive? And that's where like Josh Allen kind of checks all of the boxes because he's he's on one of those teams and uh, still runs and still is pretty efficient passing the ball. But that was just something in my head was, okay, you know, you're not going to get the QB one overall. You're probably not going to break the season, but you might get but but you look pretty good at top five performance if you've got the weapons that some of these quarterbacks have and you are going to be willing to throw at that aggressive of a rate. Yeah, and we're starting to see the Bengals come back to that spectrum. Uh, you know, a little yes, bit the past month. They're slowly getting there. You know, it scared us the first, you know, month of the season, but I still think a lot of that, you know, had to do with you know Burrow coming back from injury, you know, trying to get him reacclimated. Uh, and then also they, you just can't do what they did with Burrow last year. You can't run that many, you know, empty sets and not have and just run five man protections, especially with the offensive line talent that they had. But they're starting to, you know, incorporate it, find ways to be more aggressive. I mean, the Patriots are are, are aggressive. It's not like they're flying around empty, you know, every set. Uh, same thing with the Rams. And the Rams, especially like when you look at historically Sean McVay's offenses in the red zone compared to what they're doing this year I mean their pass rate uh in the in the red zone is just so much higher than it was under golf and you see just the trust factor right so if you have some of those guys you see the, the teams can lean into that the problem is that archetype of quarterback actually just isn't even coming into the NFL period really like you look mm-hmm. at the, the look at the quarterbacks that came out this year really Mac Jones was the only guy like that you know the pure pocket passer we do have you know uh, Carson Strong this next year but you know Malik Willis you know Matt Corral like just more guys just better athletes and it's human evolution right like just better athletes are playing the position it's just always it wasn't going to be just like this dude that had a great strong arm and could stand back there and take hits uh you know the the old school guys so we've got actual athletes everywhere even like kickers are athletes now in the nfl like it's just like i said natural human evolution uh so we're that's kind of the pocket passers a dying breed but those guys are still useful especially when they're on rosters like they are now i mean the buccaneers especially are kind of just the unique position because they're all Hall of Famers. It's a whole roster of Hall of Fame players. It's like, nuts. Yeah. Like Mike Evans, Hall of Fame. Gronk's in the Hall of Fame. AB's in the Hall of Fame. Godwin's uh, on a great trajectory. I won't say he's in the Hall of Fame, but like, you know, uh, then you've got, you know, guys like like Leonard Fournette gets dunked on all the time, right? Because people don't like Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette's like, a, a, it was an amazing recruit out of high school. Goes to LSU. He tears it up in the SEC and was drafted as a top five pick. It's not like this dude is a vagabond. Like, he's just come out of like, like, he just came out of nowhere and it's like, 
he's like Derek Gore score like you know like the, <laughs> you know like like Leonard Fournette's pedigree like legit that, that offense OJ Howard first round pick like this the offense is just built on just supreme talent and they're leaning into it and the Rams are the same way they've got talent everywhere and investment in the talent everywhere uh and the same thing with the Bengals right like look at the T Higgins basically a borderline first round pick Jamar Chase Tyler Boyd second round pick uh you know Joe Burrow QB one pick that you're seeing like the talent that's put together allows you to play that way as well so uh yeah yeah it does seem like teams are going a little bit more all in at like understanding that i mean you saw you you, you know with dallas drafting cd lamb when it wasn't like necessarily mm-hmm. a need like it it seems like some teams are understanding like we we need to just pour it on you know just be able to score points at will so it doesn't seem like in season long the edge is as big in these guys well first of all as you noted like so many of these quarterbacks do rush just to begin with so mm-hmm. it's hard to like segment them out I wrote an article in this this past offseason, and it sort of touched on what you were noting where people aren't streaming as much anymore, where I thought streaming was kind of dead, but late round QB wasn't necessarily because yeah. as the because basically the pool of quarterbacks with this upside is huge. And I kind of thought last year was a little bit of an outlier year where it was like this transition year where there was a very clear like top six to eight and it stayed that way, like and now the pool is expanding. Unfortunately, the crux of my argument a lot had to do with Trey Lance and Justin Fields this year, which uh, you know has has not gone well, Rich. It it really hasn't. Mm-hmm. So that's been disappointing. Finally, we saw Fields run last week, though they got Matt Nagy out of there. Fields was running, so I think these guys, uh, you know, it could be interesting down the stretch if Lance can crack the starting lineup. We get Taysom Hill most likely starting for New Orleans with Jameis out. That brings another rushing quarterback that could really make a difference down the stretch. But as far as ADPs go, the room is definitely sharper in terms of not taking that one quarterback like way early. Like that's, and then that just sort of reduces your edge at getting one of these guys later is if people are getting the high end quarterbacks at like a more reasonable price tag. But I do wonder how you feel about it seemed like Jalen Hurts towards the end of this last offseason was the guy that really ended up being a value, especially when people got concerned, myself included at times, with the Watson rumors. And he ended up dipping into double-digit rounds. Like, like, How do you see this, I guess, playing out long-term? You know, Are, are we going to... Because the the quarterbacks that do go like like Lamar, for example, he's set up to go absolutely nuclear the rest of the season with the way that mm-hmm. they're passing actually at kind of a league average right now relative to expectation. And he's grown cold on touchdowns, like <laughs> yeah, like I, I feel like trade for Lamar, he's gonna go nuts. But how do you see the general landscape, you know, for for season long redraft at quarterback? Yeah, I talk with JJ uh, about this all the time. You know, obviously with his you know background, and you know we were kind of on it last year about how the market was. It was crazy how fast it went. Like it just shows you how, like we talked about earlier, the information and everyone and the access. The, there are no macro edges anymore. You just look at the ADP; those guys immediately just gravitated right to the top uh, of ADP. Um, but there were, like you said, I I love the take of like streaming was dead, but maybe the late round quarterback wasn't dead because you know I'm big on player archetypes. Like I feel like that's still like understanding how players score points and where points can come from, and these top ceiling ce- ceiling seasons can come from. And like you said, you could get a Jalen Hurts. You could get a Fields or a Lance or even a Taysom Hill later, which made it so like you could wait on the position. Um, 
And if you obviously ran into Stafford or Brady, you're fine too as well. But, you know, the, those archetypes that if you did run the season of like, if Jalen Hurts was absolutely passing right now, he'd be, oh my goodness, can you imagine the season he, he would be having right now? Uh, but you're still getting that floor production that's still usable as QB1. Cause that, you know, when I first wrote that article, it was just like, hey, this is creating a floor that's more usable than you think at the position. And now it turned into being like the combination of being a ceiling crashing. To, you know, a kind of element. We'll see. I don't want to give the the non Matt Mad Nagy thing too much legs because Fields still eight of his rushing attempts were still scrambles last week. Uh, you know, so he still is right now. Uh, he has twenty one designed rushing yards now in the season. So that's we, that's that's not acceptable, uh, especially considering the construct of the Bears' offense right now. So, like, even though he got there last week and he ran around, he only had two designed runs. So I'm still not ready to say, like, you know, that's where we're past that. Like, <laughs> like yeah. we've, 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 we've cleared that, you know, mountaintop. Uh, I will say, like, when Lance, though, like, when Lance started the one week he started, like, there was actually a a comprehension of what the coaching staff had with Trey Lance, right? Like, they built a, uh, a game plan around what Trey Lance did well. It wasn't successful, and it didn't hit, but it actually, the elements were there. Of, like, they actually watched Trey Lance play football, unlike the Bears, uh, with Justin Fields, you know, these these last five weeks. Uh, so that exists if Lance does start. And listen, the 49ers, as good as Garoppolo played last week, you know, he kind of fought back against the wall. They play the Cardinals this week, and granted, you know, with you know maybe with Kyler if he misses or Hopkins is still banged up, they could pull that out. But they play the Cardinals and the Rams, and if they lose those games, you're you're at three and six, and you might not have no other choice but to just to pull yeah. that in, uh, which is in the range of outcomes. I keep telling people like if I have Lance, I still want to hold him for a couple more weeks. You know, I you know if you if you don't have if you need the roster spot, you let him go. It's fine, but I still do think that there's a couple week window here where we could see him kind of just be elevated and like I said the staff did put the game in his hands when he did play against Arizona the results weren't quite what we wanted but if you would have told me going into that like you know he was gonna at least have 15 carries and and still be able to throw a ball a little bit I would take the the chances on that being a, a QB one week you know basically anytime yeah I've got an FFPC main event team with Silva and Levitan and we've got Hertz who if you're familiar with FFPC anyone listening the the initial league playoffs are weeks 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. So it does include the bye weeks, which includes Hertz's bye week. And someone just dropped Lance last week. And I'm kind of chomping at the bit to, to get Lance a, a, as a QB2 on the back end of the roster. And you mentioned not coming around on fields. The tough part with fields is like the whole point of this kind of is that the player has a floor and fields what? put Doesn't. together, <laughs> you know, four straight weeks of the worst possible QB production you can possibly have in this era. So it's kind of insane uh, how poorly he scored from a fantasy perspective uh, since yeah, becoming I mean, the starter. The, the Konami code doesn't work if you're not running. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because because the, that's the whole thing. You you, know, you have this rookie quarterback that's going to struggle throwing the football, and he has. Uh, but if you're not going to run, then you you can't. There's no out for you. You're out of outs. Where's the spades? And he played a spade last week, but like I said, it wasn't design, the designed run game. So if we're at the mercy of just scramble yardage, uh, that could be hi- hyper volatile. So if anyone's chasing that against the Steelers on Monday night, uh, let's see what happens here. <laughs> so we've gone through most of the main things I want to talk about. I did have one action item on here because you, I saw you on Hulk's show talk about Robbie Anderson last week uh thank god he had like one target right we can yes. finally like just be done with it 
Yeah, that you know they pulled the plug on us mercifully. Yeah, they said you know <laughs> that's kind of what it was, right? Because we kept chasing. It's like, well, well, damn, if they're going to keep giving this guy ten targets a game. Eventually, something could happen. But if it's only one target, then we're we'd be all right. We can wash our hands of that. It's uh, the old uh, Hermsmeyer redacted, right? Like redacted, know? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny that you had said earlier how the edges are a little bit different in fantasy football now. And this is a spot where like previously Robbie Anderson would have been like one to 3%. He was like 10%, mm -hmm. you know, he, he was not chalk, but like not that far from chalk, you know, for, for a cheap volatile wide receiver. So it is interesting. Definitely seeing people game log watch a lot less, which, you know, I, I try to channel like a little like Bayesian mindset to some extent where maybe we should be game log watching even a little, like I used to just so rally against game log watching and then. I'm in contest last week and, you know, Jamar Chase is 5% and, you know, Cooper Cup's 12% and it's kind of like, you know, what's what's going on here? So that's kind of an interesting aspect of DFS. And some of that is DraftKings has been pricing stuff really tight this year, which is, you know, made it a little bit more difficult to pay up, you know, for some of these guys, even though they have performed really well. But it is a really interesting dynamic. That, it's a give and take, right? Because, you, know, you you know, you have a site like DraftKings that prices is a little sharper on pricing than FanDuel. And no disrespect, I know it works at these sites. So just, we're just stating facts here. But on the other hand, like because of the pricing, it almost creates more chalk on DraftKings than on FanDuel because their pricing is a little more looser and you end up having more flatter uh, distribution of player roster, rostership or, you know, uh, ownership, not to step anyone's, you know, uh, but you um, know, you know what I mean? Like there's kind of a, there's kind of a give and take with that. Like we want sharp pricing, but on the other hand, like we do like flat player pools as well. Yeah, 100%. This is something I've come around to a lot this year where like I've, I have always like railed on the FanDuel price. Like it's too loose, it's too loose, it's too loose. But then I'm doing, you know, our projected field exposures and they're spinning out on FanDuel flat, like you said, because you can play so many different guys. You don't feel gross playing some other guys. And even though it's loose, like it feels a little bit wider where like, you know, Elijah Mitchell was chalk on FanDuel last week as this really cheap running back to like get in these, like like some of these running backs on DraftKings because there's a floor on their pricing that's kind of high. You just can't play them. You know, there's just no scenario where I'm playing this crappy running back for 4,500. You know, FanDuel, <laughs> he's 5K and it gets me a lot of other stuff. Maybe I do play them and, and I just need to walk into a touchdown. So yeah, that, that dynamic is interesting. I've started to play a little bit more on FanDuel than I have in the past because of it. And I know some friends that feel like they have more of an edge on FanDuel. It's almost easier for them to fade the chalk on FanDuel because they know they still have like a pretty loaded roster and it's easier to stomach and the way the scoring system works, you know, they're less likely to get killed just on pure volume. Like a crazy Devonte Adams game on FanDuel might not be the end of the world. Uh, whereas on DraftKings full point per reception, getting that bonus, it sort of is. And the, I talked with Holka about this last week, but the quarterback position on FanDuel, I have a tough time ever not paying up at quarterback on FanDuel though, because I feel like the pricing's looser at receiver where I'm like, let me play the variance game at receiver, you know, unlike draft King, like draft Kings, I'm dropping down from, you know, Jamar chase to Robbie Anderson, like, right. Whereas FanDuel, if Stefan Diggs is seven K, like, you know, I might be dropping down from Cooper cup to Stefan Diggs. Like, let me play that variance game at wide receiver and bank the quarterback points. You know, I'm not going to spend for Matt Ryan at seven K when I play Lamar at 8,400.
we talked about last week too how it was a, di- a different dynamic in last week just with the bye weeks and the, the primetime games uh, how only josh allen was of that archetype on fanduel so it created a spot to where you could pay down at quarterback because it was just one of those guys instead of six mm, uh that's really your point and, and allen got there but like th- that's fine you know he's, he was gonna be the most popular quarterback anyways but you seen that it was a, a great week to be able to have a lot of those pocket passers brady and stafford are top six guys obviously no one played you know garoppolo or, or mike white but guys like burrow or even carson wentz or ryan Tannehill had a lot more viability in tournaments last week uh in even in large field tournaments because there was only one of those like apex predators at the position you know uh in josh allen yeah, he. I mean, he had a late, late rushing yeah. touchdown oh, yeah. too, and that's that's a really good point when you're building your rosters. Understanding if I'm playing, you know, a cheap Matt Ryan, I've just got to survive one guy not doing well versus yeah, I'll- I've got to survive Lamar, Kyler, Josh. Then the deck starts to get stacked against you a little <laughs> yeah. bit, where it's like one of those guys is going for thirty-five, Typically. and my twenty points isn't going to cut it. Yeah, absolutely. So it was it did present a different dynamic last week. Uh, you know, that's not the case this week. But yeah, just looking at that, you know, you know as, uh, from a slate perspective uh, was something a new wrinkle. We talked through that on the show last week uh, of it being a, uh, an example. And Allen almost like you said, he almost didn't get there in mean, first half of that game. Because I, you know, obviously Allen was just the guy you just plug him in and cash last week, and you know, for two and a half quarters, I'm like, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> like, all right. Any uh, any stuff on Diggs takes while we're talking Josh Allen? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I think this was to be expected. I mean, we everyone hates to just overuse the word regression, but I mean, Stephon Diggs had a pantheon type season last year. There was always gonna be a little recoil. He did listen. John Brown missed a ton of time last year, and they have a guy that is healthy in that role this season in Emmanuel Sanders that's, you know, getting air yards and he's been effective with a lot of his deep targets. And I didn't get there last week, but you know, the impact that John Brown or the, the amount of time that he missed last year and the trickle down to even Cole Beasley, who's been a little volatile this season as well. You know, you see the impact of just how those little things can impact the way a season goes and the overall stats for a player. Svon Diggs, all, all, when, you know, all the metrics are still up there amongst the league lead, you just had this little bit of recoil, right? And that's what we see, you know, kind of happening. It's nothing to really panic over, but this, this Cooper couple will be in the same boat next year. We'll have the same conversations. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. ironically, you know, basically two players that are the same age had a big free agency move. You know, Cooper cup didn't change teams, but you know, Stafford goes there. Uh, uh, you know, and you know, you have this player that has been a productive player throughout his career, but then all these things line up to create all this asymmetric upside and bring everything to kind of a focal point of this guy being an elite player every week. Um, and that's what we have. So we'll live that life in next off season because uh, I don't really expect Cooper Cup to slow down uh, too much. I know we <laughs> we released our rest of season top one fifty, and we had him one overall, which just seems nuts. But it's every week, you know, at some point. You gotta you know, get rid of those priors. Like I mean, the tar it's the target share too. Like he he kind of ran bad last week and went nine one fifteen one and like 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 got tackled inside the five on two separate drives that it could have been the team like stopped trying in the fourth quarter. So it's yeah, absolutely ridiculous season. And with Diggs too, you mentioned like little things with recoil. Like the defense is playing a lot better this year too. So you you don't yeah, have John bills, Brown yeah. out. The defense is playing a little better, and all of a sudden the opportunities you know, just dip a little bit and then you run, you know, he didn't run that great on touchdowns with the exception of like a three touchdown game against New England last year. And it's kind of the same thing. So far this year for his career as as an archetype player, he's not one of those guys that profiles as like, you might run into a double digit scoring touchdown season over the course of his career, but he just doesn't profile like that. DJ Moore is a lot like that too. 
as well. Jerry Judy will be like that over the course of his career. Like those guys in the majority of seasons, and granted, Diggs is in a an elite offense that can elevate touchdown production, but for the most part, those guys are going to be like roughly eight touchdown guys, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then you might run into the hot season. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's it's really nothing that is like an outlier in like Diggs's performance this year. It's just the expectations changed for a lot of people, especially when you incorporate ADP, and you know, then you have some people believe that that is disappointment but we live that every year with specific players <laughs> so you, earlier you talked about kind of like where you think you're getting some micro edges and, and you're grinding things like with the worksheet in general is there like a particular area or form of fantasy that you feel like you have a better edge or maybe just like better than other whether it's like you know best ball dynasty you know straight redraft was, what, what do you like to play the most if you could pick one game to play and why well, I like Dynasty the most just because it, it keeps everyone involved on different levels, you know, throughout the entirety of the season. Everyone's doing something different, uh, whereas Redraft, everyone's doing one thing. We have to try to win this one league, right? And then, you know, if you're, you know, you're sitting right now, if you're two and six, uh, you know, it's hard to trade like people. Like even even if you have like an elite guy, like how many leagues are you in where it's just like, well, why is this two and six team trading Devontae Adams away? Like he's out of it and he's just helping these other good players. Whereas in Dynasty, you know, it's relevant to turn your roster uh, and do things like that. Everyone's playing some playing for, you know, uh, a, a different type of strategy instead of trying to win this one ultimate prize, you know, every season. There's different layers to that. So I do like that the most. Um, as far as like, you know, like things that I do that I believe that like make me a, a sound, you know, fantasy player. Uh, you know, there's like we said, like the, the meta of fantasy football has kind of changed more to like structural building. And mm-hmm. th- that's something that's really comes to light. You know, this offseason I think was the most it had because best ball got so popular. Uh, you know, and kudos to underdog for putting out such a great product uh, to make it so accessible to play best ball. Uh, but you know, the, you know, roster construction was in the limelight as much as I've ever seen it in an off season this year. Uh, so we've kind of seen that come. That's something like I was already like in the, the weeds on because, you know, it's no fans. Well, we're, we're never going to be able to, to like I said, skeleton key doesn't exist. We're not going to be able to, to predict it fully. Uh, but we can incorporate strategies that kind of play into that variance. Like, you know, Anchor RB and ZRB are merging them together, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so roster construction was always big on like my, you know, forefront of drafting teams and giving yourself outs uh, and insurance. Uh, and then also like, you know, some of the stuff I do, like I'm real big on like player archetypes and understanding how players are used on the field and how that translates to fantasy points. You talk about like the difference between DraftKings and FanDuel, like the archetypes of players you can play on specific sites where you can gain value and gain an edge. Um, that stuff I've always been in on and I still believe is still overlooked, you know, to this day. Uh, that's why you see guys, you know, maybe get, you know, overdrafted, you know, above their station, like, a, you know, an Antonio Gibson, uh, you know, or, you know, these, these guys like Miles Gaskin or you know, you know, just our understanding where arbitrage exists, you know, mm-hmm. Michael Carter was Miles Gaskin four rounds later. So, you know, why, you know, why not reach? I can get Cooper Cup at that spot. I don't want to, you know, Cooper Cup's going around Miles Gaskin. I don't want to cut off my hand there, especially when I'm trying to serve into a wide receiver variants in the middle of draft. So those are all things that like I like to look at and uh, that's, and I provide information. I'm not holding this myself. Like if you read my yeah. articles, like that's stuff I am putting out. You and I had a conversation a bunch of times about like uh you know best ball and like how we thought the misnomer was that pass catching running backs were great in these best ball leagues and but terrible in season long leagues because you have to get them right in season long leagues. you have to predict game script they're so sensitive to so many uh elements creating their their fantasy points 
uh, even in DFS, it's hard to say. Like, you know, you know, a couple weeks ago, you try to pick the right JD McKissick game, but you could be wrong. You know, the the mm-hmm. right Peggy Mines game. But in best ball, these guys offered higher ceilings than people think that they offer, uh, and they're they're great assets, and they're, and they're so cheap. You know, you can fill your roster with these guys in best ball uh, with your stud guys that have these apex outcomes, these pantheon. Uh, do it all bell cow running back outcomes. Uh, and you know, that, so like stuff like that, I've always, you know, kind of incorporated into play and, and into that structural component of drafting and building rosters. So, uh, that's something I still believe is overlooked. Yeah. I could go on a huge tangent about best ball archetypes and like the misnomer <laughs> of upside in best ball, yeah. I, I think is, you know, what it comes down to a lot, but I'm totally with you on dynasty being dynasty best ball for me is, is the game to play. Like don't, I I like having an in-season trade deadline, but other than that, let me uh, not worry about best ball in season. We're pretty busy, but I do love that game. We made a trade in a dynasty league uh, earlier this year, T Higgins for Antonio Gibson. Right. We made that trade. Yeah. Yeah. We did. And that one we're in, I think three together now, at least two. Oh, you're in the one with me where I have the worst team of all time, and I'm going through this massive rebuild. Yeah, you we, we made a trade in that when I first joined the league, and you traded me Alvin Kamara, um, I believe, uh, two years ago when I yes. joined. So, uh, yeah, we've made a couple of deals, uh, so that's nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to pick your brain too uh, over the off season on some more archetype stuff. That's that's stuff I want to dig into a little bit more, especially like in the earlier rounds to see if there's you know some edges there where I think sometimes and that's a big in- dynasty factor too. Archetypes, I believe, you know, especially when you're trying to project like player career outcomes and trajectory, like dynasty short term windows and stuff like that. Uh, and you know who has more fragility. Uh, that stuff that's not used. I talked. I did a podcast with Matt Kelly last week where we talked about you know. Uh, the, the non-separator clasher archetype, you know, guys that could run hot like a, like a Michael Pittman is right now. And if there's some fragility to that, you know? Um, so yeah, that's all stuff I believe that is, is a little bit overlooked because a lot of people just see wide receiver running back as positions and, you know, that's yeah. it. Let's move on. We're moving on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you talk about fragility. I've, I've got a competing team with Derrick Henry and I go from like, I'm, I'm uh, the, uh, the, uh, number one contender to now not only does that hurt my chances of winning but talk about someone's stock like switching you know now he's at now he's a 28 year old running back next year coming off an injury it's like you know good luck on the value you're going to get for that you know so definitely understanding how quickly things can change in dynasty i think is, is a really important mindset to be able to channel and, and like make the correct decisions yeah, there's nothing worse than being on that team that ends up falling out of it and you're sitting on uh, an elite running back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you said with Alvin Kamara two years ago, you know, you're like, hey, I've got to get rid of this guy right now uh, to, to start shaping this roster to be better as soon as possible. Because Alvin Kamara, I'm going to I'm going to burn through his max value. And by the time I, you know, my team's ready to compete, I've burnt through the best asset I have. Yeah, if you're if you're not competing, you know, stockpile those young receivers. Okay, if, if get the running backs when you're ready to compete, yeah, for sure. Great. Unless you can think you can flip them, you know, if you can flip them, that's fine. But all right, Reeves, thanks so much for joining me. This was a blast. I'm glad we finally got together for this. Hopefully, we can do it again. Uh, not as much time, you know. Listen, you come to the beach next minutes. time. You come, come join ah, us. On the dude, beach. I'm in, man. All right, I'm in. I'll catch that frisbee. Put me in. Sorry, Danny. I'm gonna catch the frisbee. You've been taken out. I'm coming to the beach. I will not have a six pack like uh, overset, <laughs> but I will drink a six pack. So that's right. <laughs> 
Uh, check out Rich at Lord Reeves on Twitter. Also, make sure you check out his work at sharpfootballanalysis.com. If you click on the fantasy tab, you can check out his worksheet. As I said, a couple of the games are unlocked for the week, including the Minnesota-Baltimore game. Rich, thank you once again. Everybody that's tuning in, please hit the like button. If you're listening on the podcast feed, subscribe. That helps us out a ton. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week.